0: You the news. Hey everyone, welcome to Navel Gazing, the Valley Indie Podcast. My name is Eugene Driscoll, and I'm the sole full-time reporter and editor for the Valley Independent Sentinel. That's a non-profit online newspaper covering Ansonia, Derby, and Seymour. In Connecticut's lower Naugatuck Valley. Please visit the site at valleyindy.org. The music you just heard, that is Ride the Dinosaur by the Bad Slugs. The lead singer is Ken Dixon, a uh, locally famous uh, state reporter for Hearst, Connecticut. So we got that going for us. Uh, FYI, quick programming note, The Great Give is coming up May 4th and May 5th. 2022, I ask you to please donate to the Valley Indy so that I can continue to deliver stories and podcasts such as the one you're about to hear. My guest this week, and I'm very excited and very happy to have him, is none other than Thomas Hennick, the Public Education Officer at the State's Freedom of Information Commission. Welcome to the broadcast, Mr. Hennick.
1: It's Tom, and thank you, Eugene. Thanks for inviting me. We love doing these.
0: Yeah, I'm, this is this is a lot of fun. We've done this in the past, and basically what I'm going to do is throw out some real-world, Valley-related FOI situations that I've encountered. But before we do that, Tom, I called you Mr. Hennick because you've certainly earned the title. Uh. At least, uh, at least uh, when, it, when it was compared to me. But I found this bio. I stole this from uh, a program you participated in. It was called FOI in the Pandemic Age, hosted by the Connecticut Bar Association. Okay. So if you're going to steal a bio, steal it from a bunch of lawyers. Right. Uh, Tom conducts FOI seminars and workshops all over Connecticut about the ins and outs of the state open government laws. He was born and raised in Naugatuck. So I'm a valley guy, yep. A, a valley guy. That's why you decided to do this. I appreciate that. Uh, you were a newspaper reporter. I don't know if you're aware of this. Uh, and an editor from 1976 to 2001. Tom worked at the Middletown Press, the Naugatuck Daily News, uh, where he was the executive editor and assistant publisher. He was a regional editor at the Waterbury Republican American from 1994 to 2001. He's been on all sides of the FOA FOI coin, uh, so, to speak, because he's a member of the Durham Board of Selectmen. I didn't, I didn't realize this.
1: That's, that's actually in the past. It, I was for two years, uh, that it was filled an unexpired term that ended in 2019.
0: Look at that. I got that wrong. Okay. I was going to say, I didn't know if I could, I, I was like, I was, a little, I was doubting a little bit. He's on, he's everywhere. It was
1: accurate then. It was accurate then. It's just not
0: now. That's all. And you're the former chairman of the Regional School District 13 Board of Education. That's correct. I like that this has become This Is Your Life. He's a 1972 graduate of the Taft School in Watertown and a 1976 graduate of Brown University. Right on. So again, uh, Tom's been on this podcast several times in the past. We've done these FOI quizzes, and it's always an eye-opening experience, at at least on my end. So I haven't gone over any of these scenarios with Tom in advance uh, in any way. And this is a conversation on a podcast, so I just want to throw out there for anybody listening, this isn't a court of law. This isn't a formal proceeding. As far as I know, none of this is binding, but I hope it's just... Informational. Is there anything you want to add, Tom? Uh,
1: the, the key,
0: you, you just when I do my
1: workshops uh, around the state, Eugene, I I tell people, uh, and I'm not an attorney and I'm not a commissioner, so it's stressing. This is not binding. This is just my opinion. I've been doing this. I'm in my 22nd year, um, but it's it's just my opinion based on the facts as presented. I spend most of my time in the office answering questions on the phone or answering emails from folks, and the answer is based on the facts as presented many times i'll get questions from both sides of an issue and both sides will walk away happy and somebody's got the wrong answer but it's based on on how the facts are presented so i can only answer based on what you've what you've told me
0: yeah, and that's as – I've been a reporter uh, since 1998, at least paid to be a reporter. And there's there's nothing black and white is, like, the one thing I can take away uh, in all those years. So I do think, yeah, it is important to stress that. These are right. just two people talking. I always reserve the right to be wrong, which maybe people don't want to hear since I'm a reporter, but it's just the way it is. All right, here we go. You ready? Question number one. Got it. If I ha- I have some sound effects, I could probably – play. Oh, no, those are probably foul-mouthed. But question number one for Tom Henick. Is there any requirement in the FOI Act that forces towns to post agendas online, such as a municipal website?
1: Okay, there. now, this is the law, so there's a yes answer and a no answer there. Pre, pre-pandemic, pre-March 2020, the answer was only for a special meeting, only for a special meeting, so the regularly scheduled meetings, there was no requirement that the agendas be posted on any website. Just as an aside, if historically, back in 2008, the legislature passed a provision that required that. Um, Many towns, especially the smaller ones, balked. They said, we don't have the infrastructure, we don't have the personnel. Legislature said, fine, thanks for telling us, and then passed it anyway. And less than two years later, they rescinded it for municipalities. They kept it in place for state agencies, but rescinded it for municipalities, except for special meetings, calling it, you know what, on second thought, it's an unfunded mandate. But by then, many towns, many communities, even the small ones, had gotten websites up and running and found that it was far more efficient to post them than not. But as far as requirements, up until March of 2020, no, Now The paradigm changed if you are having a virtual meeting. If you're having a meeting that has that is entirely virtual, entirely remote, or even the what they're, they're calling the hybrid uh, form of a meeting, if you're having that, then you must post it online because you've got to have the Zoom link or the WebEx link or the Teams link, whatever platform you're using, to make it available so that there is real-time access for everybody.
0: Interesting. Okay, so now we're at the point uh, where a lot of the towns locally that I cover are transitioning back to in-person meetings. Right. So let's say Uh they abandon Zoom, they abandon YouTube. At that point, once they do that and they hold old-fashioned in-person meetings, they no longer have to put that agenda on the website?
1: Correct. No longer required under FOI. Now they may have established a policy
0: that would require that.
1: And again, that's regular meetings only. Special meetings still must be on the website.
0: Now is there, this is really outside of our both of our jurisdictions here. Is anybody in the state going to make this? a? Why can't this should be of all the things in the state, uh, FOI related, and open government related? You think this would be one that would be a requirement at this point? They tried it, I, like you said, in 2008. The little towns had like a little crying fit from what I remember. A bunch of babies saying, oh, we can't do that. It's too hard. Is there anybody trying to mandate, and I'll use the word mandate, darn it, that towns have to put their agendas online in 2022? Shouldn't that be a rule?
1: You would would think that that would have surfaced uh, between 2010 when they rescinded it and now? It it hasn't. I would would think the extent to which people use websites today, it would be a logical thing. And frankly, it wouldn't be that big a deal because most people are doing it anyway. Uh, But- at this point, I, I know of nothing that that, would re, that is surfaced, that is bubbled up, that would require it.
0: And I just want to give a, a shout out, since uh, I just criticized. I mean, my, my fear is that all the towns are going to stop posting their stuff online, which, is, which shouldn't be the way. Uh, but City of Derby, just to shout somebody out they they've been sort of the gold standard during the pandemic, posting their agendas, agenda packets. And then after the meetings, the actual audio and video have all been going online, which has been great. Okay, question two. Sure. And I think I know the answer because you might have just answered it. Uh, Is there any requirement that mandates towns to post agenda packets online? By agenda packets, I mean the supporting documentation for the items that are listed on a meeting agenda.
1: Good question, because there's some confusion about that, too. When the governor issued his executive orders in March of 2020, that was a requirement under the governor's orders but when those expired last June, that requirement went away. So as we sit here today, the answer to the question is no. It was in place when the governor's order, for the year that the governor's orders, give or take a a month or so were in place. But once the legislature took it over, that requirement was removed.
0: Interesting, okay, so there is the answer there. My next question has two parts. We hear the word personnel matter, Used a lot. Used a lot by towns as a reason they can't comment on a particular issue. Uh, First, my first question, are personnel files public records in the state of Connecticut? Yes. Second, if possible, what is the procedure a town is supposed to go through or supposed to follow when it comes to reviewing requests for personnel files?
1: It's a good question. The answer is long. I hope we don't put people to sleep, but I'll I'll give it to you.
0: I'll start dancing.
1: There's a there's a 1993 state supreme court case. It's called the Perkins decision. Perkins uh, was a teacher, may still be a teacher, who objected to the release of her attendance records. The matter went to the FOI commission. They said release them. It went all the way to the state supreme court, and the supreme court said no, no. The attendance records of all of us who work in the public sector or public records, period, end of story, to have been an invasion of her privacy, the release of those records would have to have been both highly offensive and not a matter of public concern. It would need to meet both prongs of that test. So when a request is made for a personnel file, the HR person or the mayor, whoever's in charge, is supposed to look at that personnel file, at the actual documents, and say, would this be highly offensive and not a matter of public concern? And if the person in charge believes that it would be he or she goes to the employee and says, do you want to object? And if the employee says, Oh, I don't care. Then out it goes. If the employee says, yes, I do believe it's an invasion of my privacy. Give it out. Don't give it out. Then the process stops until or unless the requester makes a complaint with the FOI commission and the commission overrules the the municipality or the state agency. The key there is that many HR people, many people in charge just automatically say no without looking at the actual records. The complaint is filed and the complaint goes against the municipality, even though the municipality never looked at the records. So I don't care. You can, there's no invasion. You've got to do the review. The employee only has the right to be contacted before the release. If they, if they believe it's an invasion of privacy, if you're going to release them, there is no other requirement. And the record is released with a heads up to the employee. Look, the, the Valley Indy looked for your personnel files. We didn't see anything that was an invasion of privacy. We ordered them released.
0: So let me just ask you then, so, yes. so does the employee have to be notified? Can If I ask a city and the person in charge looks at it and says, well, this is obviously not an invasion of any kind by any reasonable mention, right. uh, method, can the, can, the, can the person just, or the government just give me the records and then say, oh, by the way, employee, we released it? Or yes. does it have to be, sorry?
1: No. No, you. What you? The, the first scenario: if there's no invasion of privacy, they're supposed to give the records out and then give the employee a heads up.
0: That's very interesting because I think I don't think locally that's the way uh, it's done. But I'm.
1: That's why we're having this conversation. But Eugene, one of the one of the problems is just that uh, employers, uh, supervisors are hesitant to do it because they they fear employee backlash. But if if the you know, and I get that.
0: Believe me, I get that. And union, they, they'll cite the unions.
1: But the law says otherwise.
0: And that the, the Perkins Law. I guess Matt Kaufman was the current investigative reporter. I don't know if you were familiar with him. Yes, oh sure, I know Matt. And he was sort of the. Uh, I I rip off every time I do a personnel request, I rip off his uh, FOI uh, 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 nomenclature or whatever. His letter. I'm trying to say. Right. I tell you
1: a little. Funny, I tell you, I do these workshops around the state. And I was doing one in the town and i start talking about perkins and it was on it was on zoom and a couple people i see them nodding their heads and i said what are you nodding they said she's from our town (laughs) so you know I, i make i make my rounds i go all around the state so
0: that's great okay question four we're moving right along here Let's say, and this may or may not be uh, torn out of my uh, my personal experience here. Let's say you file a complaint against a town or I'm a, I'm a private citizen and I file a complaint against a town or city based on what I believe to be a violation of the FOI Act. I'm assigned a hearing officer because I've brought it up to the, to the commission. And prior to a, a FOI commission hearing, uh, the town offers to settle this by holding an FOI workshop for all town employees. As long as I agree to drop the complaint, uh, they're not really admitting anything wrong, but we can settle it. And I think it's a reasonable offer because what's the goal here? You don't want to spend taxpayer money on on attorneys necessarily, but an FOI workshop, that's a great reasonable way to settle this dispute that I may have had with a, a city. But what recourse do you have if the town never follows through? If they go ahead and just never have the FOI workshop and carry on their merry way?
1: You would. Now this is this is your settlement. This is not this is not an ordered uh, workshop. Yes. And, uh, the recourse would be to refile the complaint. I'm afraid it would be to say, you know, look, you guys promised to do this, you didn't do it, and it's not a big deal i you know you you read the, the bio there i do these workshops i do about a hundred of them a year going around the state it's not a big deal you call me up i come out and you know you, you have to sit through listening to me talk for a while but it, it's not a, it's not a difficult thing uh i'm disappointed to hear you say that most people do follow up and and do schedule them and we do hold them uh, but if it had been a commission order to do the workshop you could file a non-compliance complaint. But your negotiations with them, your discussions with them, are not anything that we would be able to uh, sort of enforce.
0: Is there? And now I'm curious because I again I, I'm learning. I didn't realize that was an option to refile. Now, if this was, if this settlement was made, to is there a statute of limitations, sort of speak?
1: If it is, I, I should have qualified that. If it is a records issue, if it is, you can always you ask for the records again, and then you you start the new clock. Unfortunately, if it were a meetings problem, uh, there's a 30 day window before you can file a complaint. So, if a meeting you, you settled it and the meeting was a year ago and you realize they never had the workshop, you're you're out of luck on a meeting situation.
0: Gotcha. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, moving on, we have two questions submitted by reader Tom Harbison of Shelton. Now, uh, Tom put something on the Valley Indie Facebook page. It All heck broke loose this morning, Tom, so I'm going to apologize in advance. You posted a lengthy question. I'm an idiot. I couldn't translate it all. So I'm going to do your second question first, Tom, if you're listening. Uh, And this asks, if a board of aldermen is the same party, when they meet as a quote-unquote caucus, do they have to state that? I see a lot of content occur with a rubber stamp feel rather than any public discussion at all. It has lately trended into simply read the motion and vote yes, no. That worries me.
1: Uh, It's a legitimate worry, but when the legislature put this law together, remember that legislators are politicians. (laughs) Uh, They created the caucus provision, which basically removes the caucus from the meeting provisions, which require notice and agendas and things like that. So it allows members of the same board and the same party to caucus. And it does create situations like your, like your reader, like your listener, uh, Tom, you know, pointed out. Um, when people get into trouble with the caucuses, well, let's have the town chairman visit us too and join the caucus. Or let's have uh, the chairman of the board of finance join the you know, alderman's caucus. And once you do that, it's not a caucus anymore. It's a meeting. But same board, same party, the, they're, they're within their rights. It's, it's, a, it's a giant loophole in the concept of open government but they are within their rights if it's only same board, same party. Depends. And there's no limits on what they can talk about. They can, you know, they can, they can do anything they need to do. And, and if it's the majority of the board, clearly they can set the agenda and, and set things up to, to move the way they want it to.
0: Okay. Thank you for that. And then the second question is from Tom and this is the one that I might butcher in general. Tom is asking about the email uh, uh, requirements for commissions he he's a member of, I, I believe he's on the Conservation Commission. Let me just read it from him. He says, this is a method slash platform we use on the Shelton Con- Conservation Commission regarding emails. It works exceedingly well. Uh, and he provided a link. I think what he does is they don't email each other. If somebody has a question uh, for another member of the commission, and I'm butchering this, it gets posted to like a Google website, a Google page uh, that I believe all the members can access, but they're not communicating with each other. I think that's what Tom was trying to say. And he says, I'd be interested in the FOI commission giving an update regarding electronic, quote unquote, meetings. It seems difficult in this day and age to think that an email that reaches a quorum of members is considered a meeting. Still, if that remains the opinion, this is how we have worked around that. And he references his uh, okay.
1: workarounds are always dangerous. I don't know specifically what this is. I this sounds familiar. I bet, I bet I've spoken to, to your reader. He
0: said, yeah, he, I think familiar. you have in, in, years ago. When you,
1: the, I don't discourage board members, commission members from using email, but when they email each other, they need to understand that what they can't do is have the conversation. The definition of a meeting says whether in person or by means of electronic equipment. Electronic equipment was written 47 years ago for the telephone, but now it's much more, obviously. It's the email, it's the text, it's Twitter, the Facebook. You can, ha- you can send out information. You can disseminate information. You can take an article from the Valley Indy and send it to everybody and say, look, guys, I want you to read this. We're going to talk about this. Eugene has a great idea. We're going to talk about it at the next meeting.
0: Never happens. That's
1: fine. <laughs> That's fine. But the issue becomes when they start talking about it via email. That they can't do. They cannot have the conversation. They cannot have the deliberations that they should be having at the table. But but you know, posting something for everybody to read is fine. Then then hold back on the comments. Don't start having because then you're having the meeting and then you then you've opened yourself up. You're vulnerable to a complaint that you've met improperly, unnoticed via electronic equipment.
0: And then just to again repeat the caveat, uh, Tom had a, a. I'm not doing justice to what to his question or his his uh, his process that they're using there. I just want to state that for the record. I apologize, Tom, but still I wanted to have this conversation because it's coming up elsewhere. Uh, in one of the towns I cover, there's a new uh, tax board and they're trying to be efficient. You know, they're trying to stop the days of 16 hour tax board meetings where you're just kind of getting to the muck and mire and, and mistakes can be made and things are transposed the wrong way. So they're doing if they have questions, they'll, they'll meet for two hours and then if they have questions for, say, uh, the chief of staff, I uh, it's, it's Derby, in the city of Derby. They're emailing things to, I believe, the town clerk. It's sort of a new way to, and then they're, and they're, and they're, they're, I think they're putting them on the agenda or they're saying they're going to put them on the agenda. Is that something that can be done? Are we seeing more of that in, in, in the state? I, I
1: don't know if we're seeing more, but the idea of sending all the questions to somebody to, to either get answered or to be posted, again, that that's fine, especially if it's a staff person. That there's no issue with that. With the understanding that when you do that, Email, text, all those things—they become public records. They're not secret. Uh, again, Valley Indy wants to see them. You can get them, but the key, as far as the meeting provision is, don't have the conversation. You want to send questions to a town official. Uh, this is the—you know—let's let's suppose your um, conservation commission, and you want to send it to the to the land use coordinator. You send them a bunch of questions. He sends them back to the board. Of course, you send them to all the board members. That's all fine. It's the communication that starts the snowball rolling down the hill, creates a problem.
0: Gotcha, okay. Now, Tom, those were all my questions. That's, uh, th- that's pretty much the whole thing. What I wanted to ask you is to state how people can get in contact with you if they have a question or if they want sure. you to come speak to one of their groups. I know you do that a lot.
1: That's free advertising, thank you. First of all, the phone. The what? I answer oh. phone calls, 860 <laughs> 566 five, six, eight, two. Now you'll get, somebody will answer that phone. That's the main number. We do that because I'm on the phone so much, or I'm on the road, but I promise you, and and Eugene, you can testify to this. I will call you back, Mm -hmm. um, hopefully within the day, if not the next day. You can also email a question to thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S, dot Hennick, H-E-N-N-I-C-K, at ct.gov, and i stress that when you call and ask questions it's i'm not giving you an order or a command in response i'm telling you what i think based on my knowledge what i've been doing um, other experiences if i don't know i'm not afraid to say i don't know i'll ask one of the attorneys or one of the executives you know what do they think but even then we're, we're writing back and we're saying this is what we think based on on the facts that you've presented and you can say okay so well that's what they think we're going to do something else but at least gives you a basis upon which to make a decision. And, it's, and the same phone number and the same email address would work. If you want me to come out and do a workshop, as I said, I, I, I do them all over the state. Uh, I was in Avon last night and, and uh, I did one earlier in the afternoon for the uh, Connecticut Association of Zoning Enforcement Officers. Uh, there, were, there were a lot of them. I guess the state changed the uh, uh, certification requirements for them so it was a much bigger crowd than I had done with them before. It was great. We had a, a both sessions were terrific, but big group, small group, happy to do it. Just just call and we'll set it up.
0: All right, Tom. I want to thank you again for taking the time. I know you're incredibly busy, so I truly appreciate your time here today. And I also appreciate what you do. You know, as a reporter. Uh, sometimes uh, asking about FOI uh, related issues, uh, it's not personal. Like even with the towns, it's not personal. But right. uh, it's just it's such a great tool for the public to have uh, and to know it's available. And the fact that you're there to provide guidance to it because it could be very confusing uh, is really a great thing. I mean, God bless America. Not to get uh, totally, but it's well, it's really a great. It's just a great thing.
1: I thank you for that, and I and I stress to folks. You know, a lot of times people say, well, that's a, a law for the media only, but it's really the percentage of complaints that we get from media outlets like yourself is, is fewer than 10 it's, percent. It's, 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 it's a law for the people. Um, government doesn't work if people don't know what's going on. The people who mean to be their own governor, James Madison said, I forgot the exact words, um, without information are, are, are destined to fail. So people need to have that information, and that's what the important thing of our law is, to make sure that people are informed so that they can vote when the elections come around, that they can vote on a budget, so they can do those sort of things and, and do so intelligently. So I, I thank you for that, and, and remember, this is a law for everybody.
0: All right. With that, thank you, Tom.
1: You are welcome.
0: Have a good afternoon. You too. For hundreds of years, we've brought you the news are in me